0: If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. It's Donald Trump's Budget Week, and I'm Kristen Roberts, Washington editor for the 30 news organizations all around America that together make McClatchy. Every week, we call the senior correspondents who live and work in political battleground states and ask them to open their notebooks for you, tell you about how voters are reacting to Trump, the GOP Congress, and the actions coming out of this Capitol that affect your lives. On the hook this week are Patty Mazay of the Miami Herald and Brian Lowry of the Kansas City Star. Hello out there, Miss Patty Mazay. I missed you last week. So did I, good to be back. What do you want to talk about? This week we have to delve into
1: the GOP battle over repealing and replacing Obamacare, which is pitting moderates
0: against conservatives. Surprise, surprise. I want to talk about Trump's budget request and the insight it gives us into his policy priorities. And then finally, we're going to go into our favorite part of the
1: show, the lightning round, on who are the people and issues to watch going into the 2018 and
0: 2020 elections. Before we start, I want to say thank you for all of the great feedback we're getting. Please keep sending your questions and your ideas and even your criticisms. Tell us what's happening in your state. Email us at btb at That's B-T-B as in beyond the bubble. Now let's get started.
2: January 20th, the day the people became the rulers of this nation again.
1: And our ideals and fundamental values are being attacked. Do we retreat or do we fight? I say we
0: fight.
2: He heard those voices that were out there that other people weren't hearing,
3: and he just earned a mandate.
0: It is time for Democrats to grow a backbone and get out there and fight.
3: The American people would like to try something new. We would like to see the country go in a different direction to change the course for America. He doesn't take this presidency seriously enough.
2: So to all Americans, hear these words. You will never be ignored again.
0: Welcome to the show, Brian Lowry of the Kansas City Star.
3: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: We're glad to have you. Welcome back to Anita Kumar, White House correspondent. Thanks for having me. I'm getting ready for another Trump press conference this week. And Katie Glick, our senior political correspondent. Thanks, Kristen. As a Kansas City native, I am so excited about all of the Kansas representation on the show this week. All right, let's get started. The first thing we're going to talk about today is health care. Paul Ryan's health care proposals become the foundation for the entire GOP repeal and replace plan in the House of Representatives. But to be honest, Republicans are really far far from agreement on the guts of this legislation. Some are following their leader, but many others, including some of the most conservative members, think it doesn't go nearly far enough. Let's listen first to President Donald Trump. This comes from his weekly address to the nation last week.
2: Millions of Americans lost the insurance and lost the doctor that they liked and were thrust into a cold new reality of higher costs and less coverage. The House plan follows the guidelines I laid out in my recent address to Congress, expanding choice, lowering costs, and providing health care access for all.
0: Anita, there seems to be a subtle shift here from what the president had said a few weeks ago to what he's saying now, and it revolves around the word Access. How committed is this White House to trying to secure something that looks like both a win and something that allows him to say he kept his promise to Americans?
2: He is really committed to a win. (laughs) It surprised some people last week when he said that he fully embraced this bill because, as we'll talk about, a lot of Republicans don't like it. But he made a promise that he would repeal and replace Obamacare. He doesn't much care about the details right now. What he wants is to get this bill through.
0: Well, what's problematic about that though is that it was only a few weeks ago that in an interview with the Washington Post, he said he wanted to see insurance for all and what he's saying now is he wants to see access for all and that is a pretty significant difference, is it not? It is a difference, but
2: again, he just needs to, I mean, basically I was talking to some Republicans this weekend who said, if Donald Trump can't get this bill through, whatever the bill is, he's not gonna get anything through. Forget infrastructure, forget tax reform. A lot is riding on this. His first year is riding on this bill.
0: Katie, what are Republicans saying to you about this bill and whether it meets the Republican pledge to voters? So I was just at a coffee with a couple of smart conservatives
4: who uh, have fairly close ties to the administration. They are not happy with the bill. They are hoping that through the process, the bill may get a little bit closer to what they would see as a a more comprehensive repeal of President Barack Obama's uh, Health Care Act, uh, because they think that the current form does not go far enough. But what they also say, uh, to piggyback off of uh, what Anita noted, is that something has to get done. And these are conservatives who don't like what they're seeing so far. But they are really hoping, whether it's Paul Ryan and the White House giving a little bit, or maybe it's some of the conservative holdouts on Capitol Hill giving a little bit. They are really hoping that they're going to be able to come to some sort of consensus because this is what Republicans have been running on for going on seven years. They have promised that, you know, if we get the White House, if we get control on Capitol Hill, we are going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with with something else. And if they can't get this done, they're very worried that their base is just not going to vote in the
0: midterm. Speaker Ryan's office seems to be really focused on showing this to be a consensus piece of legislation. I mean, they've been putting out emails about the vote in ways and means, which allowed the legislation to get over its first hurdle and route to finding its way to the floor. And in their notes, they have said specifically that members of the Tuesday group, which is a group of moderate Republicans voted for this bill. They said members of the Freedom Caucus, which is a group of conservative members voted for this bill. But let's take a second here to listen to Senator Rand Paul. Now, the bill is not in the Senate yet. It's still in the House. But let's listen to Senator Rand Paul on Face the Nation.
1: I think it's uh, basically Obamacare-lite, keeps the subsidies, keeps the taxes for a year, then keeps the Cadillac tax forever, the tax on good insurance, keeps the individual mandate, interestingly. You know, Republicans have complained for a year, saying we didn't like the government was going to make you pay a penalty. Well, now, instead of paying the penalty to the government, you pay the penalty to the insurance industry.
0: Patty, what are voters saying about this bill? What are members saying when they get back to Florida?
1: Well, you have a dichotomy here as we have seen as a pattern between kind of North and South Florida. In South Florida, there are Paul Ryan loyalists, their moderates, Carlos Corbello, Evianna Ross-Leighton. And Corbello was one of the folks who voted for the bill at 4.15 in the morning in ways and means. And he's been defending it. He ran on repealing Obamacare. He says that this is a smart, conservative way to do it by giving people tax credits. And the Democrats just pounced. I mean, we're talking about Republicans who serve in Democratic majority districts down here. And so they... We're right off the bat saying that he is endorsing a boardroom bailout, right, for rich CEOs to get tax credits because so far the studies have suggested that it's the elderly and poor people in Florida who are going to get worse hit by this change. I mean, we're talking if you're a 60-year-old who makes, you know, $20,000 a year in Florida— you are going to see a $4,000 a year drop in aid, according to a study by the Kaiser Family Foundation. So while people are not really in the weeds of this, I don't think the concern about losing their health care is there. And we just had a town hall over the weekend with Ron DeSantis, who is a Daytona area congressman, and people there were clamoring for, you know, single payer health care. And he is one of the conservatives who thinks this process has been botched and is critical of the replacement. So you're really seeing both sides of the Republican
0: spectrum on this. How's it playing out in Kansas City?
3: I think we're in the branding stage, and that's why you're seeing lawmakers be so cautious with what they're saying. Lindsay Wise, a Stars Washington correspondent, had a great story this weekend in which you know members on both the Kansas and Missouri side of the border, they stopped short of actually endorsing the plan. I think Kevin Yoder called it a good starting point. I don't think anyone really wants to go all in on this plan right now and that's because they're kind of facing backlash from both sides they're they're facing backlash from the people who want to keep a lot of the uh, provisions of the Affordable Care Act, which I think they expected from the beginning, but they're also starting to face this conservative backlash. And I think that's something that the White House is really conscious of because I spoke to the executive director of the Republican Party, and he mentioned that he had received a phone call from the White House trying to gauge how the bill was playing in Kansas. That's
0: interesting. How is the White House lobbying on this,
3: Anita?
2: They are trying to sell. They have people at the White House and people at the Republican National Committee who are basically, they're going to actually all 50 states and they are giving the parties their talking points, they're booking surrogates, they're talking to people that maybe don't get as much airtime as usual. So attorneys general, lieutenant governors, obviously governors and members of Congress are already out there talking about it. They are trying to enlist people and tell them, here's what you should say to your members. Here's what you should say. They clearly know they have a fight on their hands, and they really are trying to you know, go about branding right now. It's interesting because when you talk to people at the White House, as I did the last couple of days, they say this is Donald Trump's forte. He's ready to make a deal with anyone. (laughs) He wants this bill to pass so much that he really is willing to listen to both sides and try to make a deal and and change things. He's not closed off about changing things. He will change things.
4: So I do think Brian made a great point in terms of uh, the extent to which there is pushback on kind of all sides of this bill, because, you know, of course, we just heard Rand Paul talking about the conservative pushback. But, you know, I was just at drinks with a top Democratic operative who said, you know, as a good liberal, I hope that this bill fails. But as a Democratic operative, I see a lot of opportunities on the messaging
0: front if it actually goes through. And frankly, as an American, there is something to be said for watching Congress actually look to compromise with the White House. I mean, when is the last time that we in Washington have looked at the word compromise as something positive?
4: Right. Well, and this goes back to the mandate now for Republicans, which is, you know, they have spent seven years railing against this. And now they're in charge. It's up to them to make that decision about how they're going to govern. And are they able to actually get something done? So
2: interesting. Paul Ryan said the other day it's growing pains that they are trying to move from an opposition party to a governing party and that they're having trouble doing that.
0: When's the last time we've had a governing party? Right. <laughs> his word, his word. He's got to learn. Right.
3: I think that they're bracing for more conservative opposition from some of the groups that helped get them into power. Americans for Prosperity, uh, which obviously has a lot of ties here in Kansas since it's primarily funded by uh, Coke Industries, they're getting ready to get uh, their grassroots base up in arms about this bill. I spoke to the state director of AFP and He used the phrase Obamacare 2.0. He he seemed to think that was playing better than Obamacare light, Obamacare 2.0. And he pointed to the fact that this bill preserves a lot of the industry regulations that they opposed in the first place.
1: Florida Governor Rick Scott was in Washington again last week, and he has talked a lot about talking to Tom Price and being involved in writing the Obamacare replacement. And he didn't endorse it. He called it a work in progress. He said anything would be better than Obamacare. But he didn't go as far as to say, like, everyone should pass this and call on the Florida delegation to do so. So I think that's noteworthy, given that Rick Scott and Donald Trump have been so friendly on this issue and the governor, you know, we think is running for Senate next year, hasn't gone out on a limb yet to campaign for it.
4: One big question I have is, you know, how much appetite is there actually among some of these conservative members and conservative outside groups to actually go to war with Donald Trump on this? Uh, And if they do, who wins? Because Trump uh, has obviously, up until this point, been very popular with the conservative grassroots. And, uh, you know, I know that they are still very loyal to him. And so that could be a very interesting dynamic that's setting up if there is not enough effort made to get them on board or if they're not impressed with the efforts that unfold,
0: do you think that most of the discussion that's going on between conservatives and more moderate members of the Republican Party in the House is meant to air these issues out now before it gets to the Senate, where Republicans will really need to show a lot more unity if they intend to push something through? Sure.
4: I mean, Rand Paul was uh, out there this weekend saying that the negotiations haven't even begun yet because he's saying some of the, these members of the House Freedom Caucus and other uh, conservatives who have been. Vocal in their opposition, you know, feel that the bill is not even at a point that's worth negotiating about yet. They want to see some more concessions before they even start debating it. But, you know, Trump uh, has the power of uh, the presidency, the power of his Twitter feed. And so uh, I'm very interested to see how much pressure he puts on them to come to the table.
2: Yeah. But remember, the White House, one of their talking points is it's a good start. So they're not saying it's a done deal. They're saying that it's been a few days. They're willing to talk to both sides and see what they come up with.
4: Right, and some of those conservatives that I mentioned, I was meeting with, and they had just had a discussion with a White House surrogate who was saying, you know, hold on, we're, we're you know, this is the beginning stage of this, but. But obviously, uh, the folks on Capitol Hill who are pushing this bill think the bill, you know, the bill exists as it is, and they'd like to move forward.
0: Let's get to the next topic, because it's budget week in D.C., and for the first time in a long time, the budget might matter. It will give us a really interesting glimpse into Donald Trump's brain. It's going to tell us how much he wants to spend. It's going to tell us where he wants to cut. In other words, it's going to give us a view on his policy priorities. Now, normally, I view this as one of the dumbest weeks in Washington, where a president proposes a budget that Congress completely ignores. This year, Anita, somewhat different.
2: Well, it still might be a dumb week because I still think that Congress might ignore it. But what we do see from the budget, which will come out on Thursday, is exactly what you said. It's a new president. We really want to see what his priorities are. And this is going to tell us. Now, they've already hinted a little bit to us. He wants to increase defense spending by $54 billion. And so to do that, he needs to cut in other places. So expect a lot of decreases in things from Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the IRS, HUD, which is housing, the Coast Guard, rail security. I mean, they've mentioned tons of things. A couple of places that are really getting a lot of attention right now are cuts to the State Department and foreign aid and also cuts to the Environmental Protection Agency.
0: As this stuff started to uh, leak out, or maybe these were trial balloons, criticism was pretty swift, especially around state and the cuts to various sort of border security agencies or agencies that have some role in securing the homeland. But let's listen to OMB director Mick Mulvaney, who was on Fox News' Sunday Morning Futures last week. The priorities are exactly what the
1: priorities the president set out during the campaign. He said he wanted to spend more money on defense. He said he wanted to spend more money on immigration enforcement. And he said he wanted to do that without adding any additional money to the deficit this year. And that's what we have been spending our time on. And that's
0: Patty, are these the priorities of Florida's voters?
1: Well, I think we're going to start hearing, if these cuts are true, uh, serious concerns with cuts to the Coast Guard and FEMA. That's the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which Floridians have close personal ties to from surviving so many hurricanes. Until recently, the agency was run by a Floridian, Craig Fugate, who was a Republican appointed by Jeb Bush and later Obama, kept him on at the national level. And if they really do cut prep for natural disasters, as has been reported, if they do cut the Coast Guard, this seems to run counter to what the state would want. I mean, we've had Bill Nelson already speak on the floor of the Senate to say that he's concerned about these cuts and the cuts to the TSA. Marco Rubio has so far just limited his criticism to cuts to foreign aid, but the Coast Guard employs a lot of people in Florida— and it is border security, right? I mean, it's just the oceans that we're talking about. It's it's not a wall. But just yesterday, they intercepted a boat off the coast of Key Largo with more than 30 Cuban migrants being trafficked into the country. So if they start cutting some of these funds, I think we're going to start seeing the repercussions here pretty quickly.
0: Katie, Republican reaction to this has been mixed now. Mind you, many Republicans who do not live in border areas have different priorities from those like the ones that Patty talks with every day. What is the reaction in the rest of the country?
4: Well, you know, some, of course, are, are in wait and see mode and want to see what the bill actually looks like. But, you know, one piece of initial early pushback has focused on the question of entitlements um, because the reports that we've seen about what this budget may look like talk a lot about cuts to uh, domestic spending. But a lot of Republicans have run for years on this idea that there needs to be entitlement reform. And that's, you know, certainly something to which Donald Trump has been resistant. But, um, you know, a lot of folks on Capitol Hill and some of these conservative groups are watching to see uh, whether he uh, is actually going to take on anything that they see is the most uh, you know significant driver of the debt
0: Brian based on what we know so far about this Trump budget how will it be received where you are
3: the thing that I'm most interested to see is what exactly happens to transportation funding I know Trump talked a lot about big infrastructure projects but I've read that we might see some cuts to transportation. This is a big issue in both Kansas and Missouri because at the state level, there's been underfunding of uh, transportation for several years, Missouri for a long time, and Kansas in recent years to plug holes in our state budget, which is a well-documented phenomenon. And I think a lot of people were hoping, okay, the federal government's going to come in and help, you know, take care of us and our transportation needs. And if that doesn't happen, that's an area where you could see some backlash. Claire McCaskill even made a point to put out a statement last week referring to some of Trump's old comments about transportation and infrastructure and saying, this is an area I agree with the president. So if they don't actually keep that promise of spending on roads and bridges, that could be something that uh, Democrats in uh, red states like Kansas and Missouri can really use against them.
1: Well, and here, too, in Miami specifically, part of the reason why they uh, tried to drop their sanctuary city status, even though they said they didn't never really had it, was because they wanted this transportation money. And even Democrats agreed to that. And so I don't think there is a bigger promise budget wise, perhaps besides the wall, that Trump has made. That might bring people together and that the average person and voter can remember than the infrastructure spending. And if that doesn't follow through, I think Brian is absolutely right. It's just it's just going
0: to be a cascade of, of bad feelings toward the White House. Here in D.C., we're not really even talking about the transportation funding. All of the things that have come out around this budget have been focused on the border and foreign policy and how it relates to increasing defense. Are there potential problems here for Donald Trump if the transportation funding is cut in the way that Brian and Patty have indicated? Yeah, I definitely think that there would be
2: problems. But if you talk to folks at the White House, what they're saying is, it's really funny, how they're getting used to governing right now and and how everything can't be solved at once. What they're telling us is that this is the first piece and that you know later on down the year, you'll see things about infrastructure where they might take up roads and bridges. Even on healthcare, they're saying this is the first piece. Don't just judge us on our first budget. So they are saying that they're gonna abide by and go through those promises, make those promises, but they're saying it's not all gonna be in this budget. Katie, do you see political pitfalls here?
4: There's the potential for uh, another clash between congressional Republicans and Donald Trump, Um, you know, as we were talking about earlier. Really up until this point, for the most part, with the exception of some foreign policy issues, some Russia issues, congressional Republicans reflecting the desires of their bases back home have really held their fire when it comes to uh, expressing disagreements with Donald Trump. But as some of them have uh, already said, some publicly, some privately, you know, if we get this uh, budget that promises all kinds of boost to military spending and dramatic cuts across the board uh, at the domestic front, but no touching of entitlements, it is certainly very possible that you are going to see some Republican pushback. What you're hearing some on Capitol Hill is the use of the word request. They're saying that this is going to be the Trump administration's request and they're going to evaluate that, but that doesn't mean that they have to sort of rubber stamp it. But, you know, certainly uh, the question of entitlements, and the question of spending, this is something Republicans have campaigned against, you know, for years. And so, uh, you know, that, that is certainly a, a potential point of conflict depending on what this budget ends and, up looking and the, like.
2: The White House says don't expect entitlement changes this time around not this week and so that will be one of the things that they will deal with down the road they basically are saying, trust us right now, that we will get to all of our promises. We're just not there right now. I
4: was listening to Mark Levin, a, a very prominent conservative radio host the other day, who was really bashing this idea that, you know, the White House is going to do everything in installments. You know, He was talking specifically about the health care bill. But, you know, certainly uh, there's a lot of conservatives out there that don't want to hold their fire, whether it's on the budget or, or on health care, um, if they're seeing proposals that are you know very much contrary to, to everything they've run on.
2: It sort of is bad timing though, this budget, they already have conservatives upset about health care. They need to get through that. And of course, the budget's coming out this week. And so here's just another battle.
0: Right.
4: Well, and my question actually is how much attention will this first Republican president's budget end up getting? Um, Because everyone I'm speaking with is so consumed by the debates over health care. So it'll be interesting to see if he does something that really breaks through.
0: I want to pause here for a second just to make a quick nod to an initiative that we are a part of for an entire month, and it's all about raising awareness of podcasts. Our executive producer, Davin Coburn, brought this idea to me and I said, of course we should do this. We are podcast lovers.
4: We are. It's a chance to partner with NPR and the New York Times and Gimlet and Radiotopia, basically everyone who makes major podcasts.
0: And the idea here is for everyone who listens to podcasts to go and find a friend who doesn't and encourage them to try it and show them how to do it. I will confess that I was once a
4: podcast skeptic until I discovered Serial. And I will tell you that as soon as I started listening to the folks over there, I was finding new excuses to clean my apartment you know I was taking longer routes home from work I'm on the lookout for a new NASCAR podcast for you Kristen I know you're a fan it's just going to be an hour of Tony Stewart yelling every week (laughs) let us know how it goes use the hashtag tripod that's T-R-Y pod that's a good hashtag that's a great hashtag.
0: hashtag All right, let's get back to our show All right. Let's get to our final segment. It's the lightning round. Each one of you gets to identify one politician or in the case of Anita, one issue from the last week that did something relevant to the next election, whether in 17, 18 or 20. And Brian, as the newbie, you get to go first.
3: Well, in Kansas, uh, we're going to have an election in less than a month. The race to replace uh, Mike Pompeo down in the congressional district around Wichita. It's uh, Ron Estes, the state treasurer. It's really his race to lose. The Democrat he's facing is James Thompson, a uh, civil rights attorney. And Estes has gotten elected several times here in Kansas, well-known guy. Thompson is using an interesting tactic, which is to try and tie him to Sam Brownback, not Donald Trump, but to Sam Brownback, the governor of Kansas, who's not very popular. And I'm curious to see if it works. I'm skeptical that the Dems can win this race, but it may be a good benchmark to see which way Kansas is going to go in 2018.
2: Anita. I'm not going to disappoint you, Kristen. I'm going to go with an issue. <laughs> it's actually not a policy issue. I'm going to go with the so-called Ideas Conference. It's the Democratic equivalent of CPAC, which was the conservative gathering we had here in outside Washington a couple weeks ago. The Democrats are going to try to have their own conference. Um, the Center for American Progress is behind it. It's going to be May in Washington and it's a really good look at both who's gonna be looking to run for president in 2020, and also how the Democrats are gonna remake their party after such a loss. And several notable people have said that they're gonna
0: come. Is it the contention of the chair that- Senator Elizabeth Warren. I am not allowed to accurately describe public views of Senator Sessions, public...
2: Senator Cory Booker, a new senator from California, Kamala Harris, who we've talked about before on the show, Chris Murphy of Connecticut. So we're going to see a lot from the Democratic Party in May.
4: Katie? I am watching all of the candidates in the Republican primary to replace Mick Mulvaney down in South Carolina. They cannot do enough to try and tie themselves to Donald Trump. One is giving away an Ivanka purse. Another tweets consistently about making America great again. Another posted pictures of himself with the Trumps at Mar-a-Lago. And so right now, it's very much a contest to see who can be you know, the next sort of mini-Trump. But I'm going to be watching that to see whether that dynamic shifts by the time the race rolls around in May. That is going to give us a pretty good indication of uh, how much uh, political juice
1: Trump's message still has when
4: he's not on the ballot.
1: Patty, what you got? I've got the Florida governor's race in 2018. We have the first declared candidate. He's on the Democratic side. It's Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum. He's 37 years old, a rising star in the Florida Democratic Party who spoke at the Democratic National Convention.
0: My parents worked their entire lives to provide for me greater opportunities than they had ever been
3: afforded. Creating the possibility for me to be the first in my family to go to college
1: and graduate. On the flip side, we have Tampa Mayor Bob Buckhorn, another Democrat who was expected to run. The Democrats usually tend to pick a nominee who's from the all important Tampa corridor, and he actually said he's not going to go into the race. And one of the reasons he used was. He said he doesn't really know the electorate after Trump's win, which was a pretty candid admission of where Florida Democrats are right now and what an uphill climb they have uh, going into next year.
0: That's a good one, Patty. I'm going to go with Carl Dean running for governor in Tennessee. This guy's a Democrat, and this is a state where no Democratic candidate has won statewide since 2006. He's counting on a Trump backlash, as I seem to think many Democrats are looking at 18 and even 20. All right, that's it for us. Patty, thank you so much for dialing in. My pleasure. I'd missed you guys last week. (laughs) Anita Kumar, get back to work. See you next week if we can dig out from the snow. Katie Glick, it was so good to see you. Thanks, Kristen. I'm off to the Middle East back next week. And Brian Lowry, thank you for joining us, and I hope you will again.
3: Thank you for having me, Kristen.
0: Thank you to our executive producer, Davin Coburn, and thank you to our listeners. We want to hear from you, so please send questions and comments to btb at mcclatchy.com. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground state. We might even ask you to call into the show. Talk to you next week.